0: great to see you. Welcome to New Life. August is here. Summer is winding down. Vacation season is almost over. And uh, school will be starting up before you know it. It's coming like a freight train. And so you guys are excited about it. Some of you are, some of you are not. But uh, new season's right around the corner. I'm excited to be here today. I'm excited to bring God's word to you. Are you excited? Okay, I'm excited. I hope you are about ready to jump out of my skin, and uh, it's, a, it's a new season for new life as well. Our elders have been meeting and praying and seeking God and really discerning God's direction going forward for this church, specifically in the area of how we're going to go about spreading the gospel in our community into neighboring communities, and our elders believe it's, it's a new season, a new life. God's going to be using us in people's lives like never before. We're excited about it. We need to be a part of it. And I believe that many of you are going to find new growth and fruitfulness and transformation in your life as you get on, in on that and find God using you in the lives of other people. And so because of that and because I just finished a month-long study break or I immersed myself in the book of Acts and in the doctrine of the church and because I view August as a great month and a, a good time for reminding us of what we're to be about and because there are so many crazy notions about church floating around out there I want us to take these next four weeks and explore the birth of Jesus' church as it's described in the first two chapters of the book of Acts, okay? So take your Bible, or if you have a fake Bible on your phone or your iPad, go to Acts chapter 1. We're going to make sure, that's what I got, that's what I got, we're going to make sure that this church continues to align with Jesus' plan and purpose for the church. That's what we want, right? So as we go through this, if we find that we're out of alignment or out of sync with with his plan, we're going to get some recalibration in our own hearts and minds, get lined back up with the plan of Jesus, Acts chapter 1. Now, you know that I love the church, right? I love the capital C church, the big worldwide church, we've already celebrated that this morning, and I love this church, this body of believers. Now, we're not a perfect church, there is no such thing, just like there are no perfect Christians, but God has blessed us with so much. I do think it's possible to drift away in our minds from the the design or the blueprint of the church to where we start entertaining some notions about church that are really way off, and that's never good, right? That's never good. As a pastor, I've met people who had some very curious notions about church, I've talked to people who told me that their church experience involved staying at home on Sunday mornings and sitting on their couch in their jammies, munching on Pop-Tarts, watching Joyce Meyer or Joel Osteen on television. And I hear that, and I think, well, really, is that is that really church? I've had other people tell me, oh yeah, pastor, I'm a member of such and such a church—First Pentecostal Baptist, Episcopal, Methodist, whatever of the latter days—and. Then I press a little bit further, and it's like they rarely ever go. They're not in a small group. They don't serve there. They don't give hardly anything. They're not involved. They haven't taken communion in a long, long time. No one's prayed with them in in a long, long time. And even in one case, a guy didn't even know the name of the pastor. It's like, oh, yeah, that's my church. Honey, what's the name of our pastor again? You know, and I'm thinking, is that really what Jesus hung on the cross and shed his blood? Is that what he had in mind when he was hanging there and purchasing their membership in his family? I wonder about that. So let's do this, let's take a little journey back to the beginning and see how this thing we call church got its start, and we should be grateful because a doctor named Luke back in the first century went on a mission to record it for us, he did the research, he conducted the interviews, he pulled it all together and wrote a detailed account of the birth of the Christian church, and we call it what? The book of Acts, in your New Testament, the book of Acts. It's actually Luke's second work, his second book, his first being what? Luke, <laughs> the Gospel according to Luke, which is the prequel and Acts is the sequel, and here's how Luke begins his history of the Christian Church. Acts 1:1. In the first book, O Theophilus, great name for your next young child. We don't really know who he was. He might have been the the person who financed the project that Luke was working on. In the first book, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So he's saying, in my first book of Luke, I recorded the works of Jesus and the words of Jesus, and they're both important, right? Many people hear about the works of Jesus, and they love that. Look, there's Jesus raising people from the dead, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind. But then they hear the words of Jesus, and they cringe when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the judge of the living and the dead. And so Jesus' works and words go together, amen? Amen. His words explain his works, and his works authenticate and validate his words. And Luke said, I laid it out in my first work. Until the day when he was taken up, that's the ascension of Jesus. After he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. How many of you know that Jesus was buried and then rose again from the grave? He was around for 40 days. He talked to people. He gave them very convincing proofs that he was alive. Like if someone cooks breakfast for you, you can be pretty sure that they're alive and well, right? If someone shakes your hand, shows you the nail scars in their hands inside, you would say, that guy's alive, he's here. Jesus gave many proofs that he was living. He appeared to them during 40 days and spoke about what? The kingdom of God, his primary message, the kingship of God over the, over the world. And so here's what I need you to see, New Life. When we take on the noble task of trying to figure out what the church is and what the church is supposed to be about and what it means to be a member of the church, we need to choose the right starting point. And the right starting point in talking about church is not to start with church, it's to start with Jesus because the church began with Jesus. Amen? He's the founder of the church. He paid for it, so the church belongs to him. I have three points in my sermon this morning, just three. Aren't you glad? And they're on your study outline if you want to pull that out. And Here's the first one. Jesus owns the church. you say that with me? Jesus owns the church. He owns it. It's His church. And that means He gets to define the church and He, the founder, gets to set the standards for how it should operate. He gets to establish the conditions for who gets to be a part of His church, who gets to lead His church. It's Jesus' church. It's not my church. It's not my church. Not really, not technically. It's not your church. It's Jesus' church. He owns the church. So whose agenda matters most? Jesus' agenda, not mine, not yours. Church boards need to understand this, right? Elder teams that oversee churches need to regularly acknowledge this and submit to it. Jesus, this is your church. We operate under you, your authority, and your leadership. It's your church. Jesus owns the church. Second point. Jesus promised his church power. A power source. Luke, in writing, tells us that after Jesus rose from the grave and before he ascended back up into heaven, he gave some commands. See that in verse 2? He gave some commands to his apostles. So during that 40-day period, Jesus hung out with his little band of disciples, numbering how many? You guys are smarter than the 9 a.m. crowd and the 6 p.m. crowd last night. 11, why? Started with twelve. One defected, Judas Iscariot, betrayed Jesus, felt so much remorse over that, he went out and hung himself. And if you want to know what happened to his body, you can read the end of Acts 1, and it's really gruesome. So down to 11, we're down 1, Jesus spent... Much time with that group of 11 guys, sharing with them what he wanted them to do. Let's read on, verse 4, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So we see that Jesus does have a mission for them to accomplish. We'll see it in a minute. But first, they were instructed to do what? Wait. That is a four-letter word. Wait. How many of you hate to wait? Hate to wait? Anybody like that? Hate hate to wait in the grocery checkout line, you know, as you're moving along. You say, I'm going to the self-checkout. Get out of here. I hate to wait at stoplights, I hate to wait at stoplights, especially when it's green and I'm gunning it to get through, and then it's yellow-red, boom, and you've got to stop, and you look at the cross traffic, and there's no cross traffic. It's like, why are we waiting? What are we waiting for? There's nothing here. That's a whole other thing. Anyway, wait. <laughs> Jesus said, don't go out yet. Don't go on mission yet. Don't go preaching the gospel yet. Wait. You need something. You're not going to be able to do this mission in your own strength. You need a a supernatural power source. The scope of the mission that I'm giving you is so broad, and the opposition is going to be so stiff. You need power, so wait. Just think about what that first church would go through in its first decade of existence. Persecution from the state, leadership transitions, internal squabbles, all churches have that, right? Resource challenges, all churches have that various attempts to shut it down by intimidating and subverting, they would need power, Jesus knew, to stay on mission. And that power would flow from whom? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit coming upon them and residing within them. So a couple of things I want us to know about the power of the Holy Spirit. First, that was the same power that Jesus lived by. Did you know that? That Jesus lived his life and carried out his mission by the power of, of the Holy Spirit, even some Christians didn't realize that, if you doubt it, just read Luke's first book, and you'll see that gee, it all started with the Holy Spirit, who, who Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, right? Remember the angel's words to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you? He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, then at Jesus' baptism, the Spirit came down on him like a dove, picturing to all who were gathered that this man would be living under the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Then it says the Spirit led him in the wilderness to be tempted, to be tested by the devil. The Spirit was leading Jesus. Go here, go here, now go over here, talk to this person, heal this person. Jesus was led by the Spirit. When he went back to his hometown and preached his very first sermon, he got up, he took the scroll, he opened it to Isaiah chapter 61 and he read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me and has anointed me to preach good news. And Luke goes on to record that Jesus ministered in the power of the Spirit. He endured suffering, much suffering, by the strength and the power that the Holy Spirit gave him. Paul would later write that Jesus was raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit. So you've heard of the Spirit-filled life, right? The Spirit-filled life. You need to live a Spirit-filled life, and it's true. But any vision of the Spirit-filled life needs to begin with who? With Jesus. He was the one who was eminently filled with the Spirit. All of us are flawed in some way and failed to yield total control to the Holy Spirit. So when we go on a picture of the Spirit-filled life, let's look at Jesus who lived by the power of the Spirit. And we're going to see the same Holy Spirit who filled and empowered Jesus now dwells in his people. Thank God for that. So first, the power of the Holy Spirit was the same power Jesus lived by. And second, it was given for mission. The spiritual power that Jesus promised would come was given for mission. Just as the power of the Spirit was given to Jesus to enable him to live on mission, so Jesus would send the Holy Spirit to his people so that they can live on mission. That's the primary purpose of the Spirit's power. Now, I know that when I talk about the Holy Spirit... Some of you start to get, you know, start to fidget in your seat because your mind conjures up images of worship services that are chaotic and frenzied and pandemonium breaks out and crazy Christians foaming at the mouth, you know, prancing around the room and falling to the floor in a heap. And you're thinking, man, if that's what the Holy Spirit does, I don't want anything to do with them. Others of you were raised in Pentecostal or Charismatic churches. In fact, how many of you have a background in Pentecostal or Charismatic churches? Raise your hand, because you know that's what you want to do. <laughs> that's what you do, right? Pentecostal, Charismatic. Yeah. We love our Pentecostal and Charismatic brothers. And many of you were led to think about worship services, that if there's any sort of order or structure in a service, then the Spirit must not be there, and that church needs a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, let me just say this from my vantage point. Both of those extremes should be avoided. Certainly, fear can keep us from experiencing all that the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. If we're afraid of Him, if we're scared of what He might do, if we're fearful of the Spirit, well, He's not going to be able to do everything that He wants to do in us. And on the other hand, unbridled emotionalism minus any biblical parameters To restrain our fleshly impulses can also distort the work of the Spirit in a congregation, right? The primary purpose of the Spirit's power we see in Acts is to enable God's people to live like Jesus and to live on mission with Jesus. You know what? This is good news. Unlike those first disciples, we don't have to wait. The Spirit has already been poured out on the entire body of Christ. We don't have to wait. We just yield and submit the totality of our lives to the Holy Spirit and let him fill us up, right? You ever pray that prayer? Spirit of God, empty me of myself and fill me up with you. Empty me of self, fill me up with you. Take control of my mind, my mouth, my body, everything about me. I submit to you. And as we do that, we will find ourselves living more and more like our Lord Jesus Christ and emboldened with more and more power to be witnesses and missionaries for him, like Ed challenged us with last week. Does that make sense? The Spirit's power given to us thank God for the Holy Spirit. Now, just picture there, Jesus' 11 disciples are there. They're listening to Jesus. He's telling them about the Spirit of God coming upon them in a few days and his mission. And they had questions. I mean, after all, they had been listening to Jesus for three years. And his main message during those three years was what? The kingdom of God. The arrival of a a new government. And so now that Jesus had risen from the dead, his disciples were probably wondering, well now, is this it? Is is it time? Is it going to happen right now? Should we go get the party hats and the balloons and the streamers out and get ready for the big inauguration ceremony where Jesus is crowned king? And so verse 6 of chapter 1, so when they come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this it? Verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now, we can relate to the disciples here, right? I mean, we want to know God's timetable for things, right? I mean, we've, we're praying prayers maybe for weeks or months or years. It's like, God, is it now? Is it now? Are you, going to, are you going to answer this prayer now? And so often, have you noticed this, that God's timetable and ours aren't always in sync? Have you noticed that? And, and we'd really like him to sync up with us, Right? Well, Jesus looks at them and says, look, guys, God's going God's to carry out his plan in his way and his time. Don't worry about that. What I want you to focus on is the mission that I have for you in the meantime. And here it is, verse 8. You may know this verse, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my, what? Witnesses. There it is. There's the mission. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus, point three, gave his church a mission. Remember, Jesus owns the church, right? So who gets to lay out the mission statement for the church? Jesus does. That's right. Some people get confused about this and they, you know, they think that church leaders can go to a boardroom and have a whiteboard and fill up that whiteboard with ideas about what their church ought to be doing. That's wrong. Companies can do that. Businesses and organizations can decide what their mission statement is going to be. But the church has a delegated mission statement already from its founder. He's the founder of the church. He gets to decide what the mission of the church is. And he said to his followers, you will be my witnesses here and around the earth. That's the mission that Jesus gave his church. Now, during those 40 days, he talked to his disciples on a number of different occasions. And he laid out this mission from a, a number of different angles, just to give them a full-orb picture of what he was calling them to, and the, the biographers of Jesus caught those subtle nuances, and they tell us about them. For example, Matthew says it this way, Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. You've heard that, right? Go make disciples. Mark writes that Jesus said, Go preach the gospel to every creature on the earth. Luke said, Repentance and forgiveness of sin shall be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. John recorded this statement from Jesus as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And then here in Acts, Luke reports what appears to be Jesus' last statement about the mission you will be my witnesses. So, putting all these together, here's my best stab at defining the mission. Of the church from its founder. What are we here to do? Jesus' mission for his church, it's in a little box on your outline there, extending and deepening the reign of King Jesus, right? He's a king, he comes to reign, so extending it and deepening it in the hearts of people all over the earth through three things, spirit-empowered proclaiming of the gospel, Go preach the gospel to every creature. Training up of new disciples. Go make disciples, and that word means followers. And the formation of new gospel-centered congregations, or ecclesias. So that's the word we're using for this series. ecclesia. it's a Greek word that means assembly or gathering, and in the New Testament, it's translated church. New churches, new churches, and all of this for the glory of God. So what are we supposed to be doing? Proclaiming the gospel, raising up new followers of Jesus, gathering them together in new churches for the glory of God. Now let me point out a few things about this. This, first of all, was Jesus' own mission. Think about that. When you look at what it says there, Jesus was sent from heaven to earth by the Father to carry out this very mission. And so as he was getting ready to leave, he simply handed this mission off to his followers, right? Continue my mission on the earth, and I will send the Holy Spirit to come and empower you so that you can do it. And then I noticed, and you probably did, did you know that Jesus is for all peoples? All peoples. Did you see how many times uh, preach the gospel to every creature, make disciples of all nations, start in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is for all peoples. All peoples. Don't miss this. You say, well, I thought Jesus was a Jew, and it was all about the Jewish nation. Well, he was a Jew, and the Jewish people did claim a very special place in the heart of God. But they kind of lost sight of the purpose for which they were chosen. You see, God chose a special people for his own possession so that they would be a light to the Gentiles, right? A lighthouse shining the light of God to the world. But the Jews kind of missed all that. They kind of were hogging it for themselves, right? We're the elite people. We're the people of God. And so Jesus came along and was the true and better Israel who succeeded where Israel failed and offered his gospel to all peoples. Did you know there's going to be Asian Christians in heaven? Millions of them. Did you know there's going to be African Christians in heaven? We saw some pictures of some of them earlier on the screens, right? Millions of them. Did you know there's going to be some white Anglo-Christians in heaven? Hopefully millions of them. African-American Christians. Millions of them in heaven. Every hue known to mankind represented in heaven. That's always been God's dream. Always. When you look in the book of Revelation and see that picture of, of the family of God in heaven worshiping the Lamb around the throne, what does it say about that crowd? People from every tongue, every tribe, every language, every nation. Here, the way Jesus said it was, start in Jerusalem, then go to Judea, which is a neighboring region, then Samaria, further out still, the ends of the earth. Make disciples of all nations. That's always been his view. And you know what? That's what the first disciples did. With a little help from God and government persecution. They started in Jerusalem... And then they were getting comfortable and God sent some persecution and then they started to scatter and take the message to the ends of the earth. And so we sit here today in the West, blessed by that. What this means is that biblical Christians and churches must reach out to their neighbors across the street, to neighboring communities, and to the ends of the earth. Start locally, go regionally, move nationally, serve globally. Amen? All peoples. That's the scope of the mission. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. Human effort will fail us. It's not enough. We need supernatural power. Notice in that definition, it talks about um, extending the reign of Jesus through preaching the gospel. Can I just remind you that in proclaiming the gospel, we are declaring Jesus as the victor over sin, death, hell, the grave, and Satan? Isn't that good news? I mean, we have a great message to proclaim to people. We get to announce to any and all who will listen, if they don't think we're crazy, that there is a king who came and died for his enemies, that they could be made his friends, be reconciled to him, and then he rose from the grave to give them new life, life with him forever. So Jesus is a victor, and everyone needs to know it, and proclaiming that message to all peoples all around the globe is at the core of the mission that he gave his followers. Praise God for that. In training disciples, it says, go make disciples. We're calling people to believe the gospel, to submit to the kingship of Jesus, and follow him the remainder of their days. You know, as we share the gospel with people, let's be careful to not... In our our desire to make it simple, let's be careful to not minimalize it so much that it ends up being something like, hey, pray this prayer and your life will be good. It's a lot more than that. It's a lot more than that. And then it talks about planting new gospel-centered congregations or ecclesias. And in doing that, we're simply being obedient to Jesus and following the example of the first apostles. What did those first disciples do after the Spirit came upon them a few days later? Well, we'll see it next week. What did they do? They fanned out into their city, and they started telling people about Jesus Christ. They called people to repent and believe in Jesus. They baptized. They dunked everyone who did. And then they gathered all those new believers together and started meeting together regularly in large groups and in small groups for Bible study, prayer, ministry, sharing meals and communion together, generosity, need meeting, worship, and evangelism and what i'm saying is they started a church that's what they did they formed the very first church there in jerusalem new life church jerusalem maybe i don't know what they call it they started a church the very first one What I'm saying is that Jesus' apostles carried out his mission by proclaiming the gospel, training up new followers of Jesus, gathering them together into churches, and we want to follow, we here at New Life want to follow in their footsteps and do the same thing. Amen? Proclaim the gospel, raise up new followers of Jesus, plant new churches that are centered around the gospel. That's what Jesus called his followers to do. That's our mission. Did you get it? So there's my three points. That's it. Number one, Jesus owns the church. Number two, Jesus gave his spirit to empower the church. And number three, Jesus gave us our mission. and calls us to continue carrying out his mission in the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's much, much, much more to participating in Jesus' church than sitting at home watching Joyce Meyer on television. Much, much more. Do you get that? And we're going to be exploring that and diving in deeper next weekend. So in this series, I'm going to be challenging you. I'm going to be challenging you, wherever you're at right now, to move closer to being all in with Jesus' mission. And so today, I just want to ask you to do a quick little self-assessment. On the back of your outline is a little scale there. It's got two ends to it on the one side it says something like disengage or unengage or not involved right so unengaged like you know i don't give much of a rip about jesus mission my life's about other things i'm just here today because somebody dragged me here or bribed me on the other end is someone who's all in they're like you know what my life is all about jesus I've believed his gospel. I've repented. I've turned to him. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. I've exchanged my agenda for his agenda. I'm all about his agenda. I get up in in the morning and I, I say, Lord Jesus, I'm on mission with you today. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Direct me to who you want me to talk with today. Let me represent you well at the office, at the plant, at the campus I'm on. All in. Unengaged. All in. So where would you locate yourself today? Just put a little mark there on that scale some. Where are you? Where are you? Be honest. And then I'm asking the Holy Spirit to move you. Move you. Move you. Move you closer and closer to being all in. The future that Jesus has for this church is going to require all of us to be all in. It's going to be a beautiful thing. God's going to use us. God's going to use you in ways that will thrill your heart, in ways that will make you get up and go, wow, (laughs) I didn't know Jesus could use me. And By the way, that's kind of how I want to finish this morning. I want to talk for a couple minutes about what kind of person does Jesus use in his work, in his kingdom work? What kind of person does he use? Do you ever think about that? Do you ever have thoughts like, I don't know why Jesus would use me. I'm not very talented. I'm not very dynamic and... Cool and hip, you know? Or I have a past, I got a past. You ever have thoughts like that? Who does Jesus use? Well, first, Jesus uses Christians. Jesus uses people who have repented of their sins, turned from sin and self and the idols, the things they had made the focus of their life, turned and embraced Him saw that his death on the cross was for them to take care of their sin problem, believe that Jesus rose from the grave, become a Christian. Jesus uses believers. And if you're new here, that's the starting point for you, right? Is turn from sin and self to Jesus Christ, embrace him with all your heart, submit your life to King Jesus, believe in him. He will save you as he promised, and then you can get on mission with him in the world. But then you say, well, I am a Christian, I've done that, what? What kind of people does Jesus use? So I want to use a little analogy. So think about a master surgeon in a hospital for a moment. And I hold here in my hand a surgeon's scalpel. Actually, it's just one of those little $4 dollars Exacto knives. But for my purposes today, it's a surgeon's scalpel, okay? I think about a master surgeon preparing to do his very precise work, right, of opening someone up and doing whatever he needs to do What kind of instrument will that surgeon use? I'm gonna give you three words to think about. I think there's an analogy here, okay? Clean. That surgeon, if he's a good one, is gonna turn to his instrument tray and he's gonna pick out a clean scalpel, right? If he's a good one, he's not gonna use a scalpel that's all corroded and rusty and has blood caked on it from the last surgery. He's not going to do that. He knows that would create infection and all kinds of problems. He's going to use a clean instrument. And you know what? The master surgeon, in doing his work, when he turns to look for an instrument to use, he looks for clean. Clean. I didn't say perfect. I said clean. That's a person who's repenting of sins every day. Jesus, I want my hands, my head, my mind, my heart to be clean. Cleanse me today so that I can be used. Makes sense. Clean. Secondly, a master surgeon is going to turn and use an instrument that he finds is sharp. Sharp, not dull. He doesn't want to mess things up here. He wants a nice, sharp instrument. And Jesus uses sharp people, and I don't mean intellectually sharp, like straight A's, you know, brilliant, brainiac kind of a person. I'm not talking about that kind of sharp. I'm talking about sharpened. Say, so how do you get sharpened? Let me, th- let me mention two ways. You get sharpened through immersing yourself in the Word of God, which is sharper than any two-edged sword and pierces down deep into our hearts, right? Jesus is going to use people for his work, for his efforts in the lives of others. Who's he going to use? Sharpened people who've been spending time in the Bible, learning the Word of God, growing deeper in the Gospel. That's the kind of person he's going to use. And also sharpened through interaction with other believers sharpening relationships, brothers meeting together to sharpen one another in Christ, sisters meeting together to sharpen one another in Christ. Jesus Christ, the master surgeon, is going to use clean and sharp people. And then third, just like a surgeon, he's going to use people who are available. Clean, sharp, available. Think about a surgeon preparing to perform emergency surgery. It's got to happen. It's got to happen now. He turns His instrument's not there. He's got to go to the next room or send someone to the next building. That's not going to work. He's going to take that instrument that's clean and sharp and that's sitting right there on his tray, right, and use it. And my experience is this. Jesus uses ordinary people who are available. They're available to him. In fact, I would say that Jesus is more inclined to use ordinary people who are available than super talented people who are only available on Wednesdays. Or a little bit of time on Saturdays. Clean, sharp, and available. That's who Jesus uses. Believers who are clean, sharp, and available. Let's be that kind of a church. Amen? Let's be that kind of people for Jesus who is on mission in this world, who's looking for his children to join him on that mission and work in the lives of people so their lives are transformed so they can live with him forever through the gospel. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for being our Lord and our Savior. Thank you for being the head of the church, for commissioning your people to carry your mission forward in this world locally and globally. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to empower us. Sometimes we surprise ourselves at our boldness, and it's because of the Spirit within us. Lord, I pray that as you move this church into a future that looks really bold and bright and faith-filled and filled with gospel impact for your glory, that everyone within the sound of my voice would take to heart what we've learned from your word this morning, that we would move to being all in with you, and that we would prioritize being clean and sharp and available to you so that when you have a work to do, You turn and there we are, ready to be used by you. Instruments in the master's hand. May that be true of us evermore, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We're going to worship the Lord together and also our prayer partners are here to uh, pray with any of you who would like to come and receive prayer. There is one thing in particular as we were worshiping earlier that came to my mind as to why so many Christians are sitting on the sidelines and not fully engaged, and it has to do with your past. You ever feel shackled to your past, like chained, and I'm, I'm, I'm sidelined and because I'm tethered to my past? Maybe past failures, past sins, past attempts that didn't go well. I know this is true of many, 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 people I I, you know I tried that it didn't work for me and I think there's a work it's funny I have this in my hand I think there's a work that Jesus wants to do in severing you from your past in that regard you know just cutting the tether that's shackling you chaining you to the past so you can be propelled into a future that's full of faith and Jesus using you once again And if that message resonates with you, I would ask you in particular, along with others, to come and, and let one of these prayer partners pray with you. Just pray the Holy Spirit's power to enable you to be released from your past so you can strain towards what is ahead, as Paul wrote. Does that make sense? All right, well, let's stand together. Let's worship. And as we do, come and be prayed with.